welcome to the Hexanite Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Ivan. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about video games. Um, specifically how video games and tabletop games have influenced each other, stolen from each other. Um, and I guess just kind of our takes on like, in some cases that's been good, and in some cases it maybe hasn't. Um, so where do you want to start there are so many places to start from. I mean, there's such a long history. I feel like... Actually, it's funny, because um, like, the history of the two genres is almost like equally long, right? Like, yeah. video games start being a thing in like, the 70s. That's when we get RPGs. So they are kind of like intertwined. I, I, I would say so. And personally, from my perspective, uh, as someone who programs as a hobbyist at this point and has done some game programming. There are certain paradigms that have been mirrored to an extent or that play mm-hmm. pretty well into each other. Like in programming, I won't delve really deeply into it, this, but there's something called object oriented uh, programming or we'll just mm-hmm. call it design to keep it simple. So in sure. that you're like, you create classes which represent kind of active objects in a in a program and i've always personally felt that like the objects can be seen as like characters in a game that interact (laughs) and then you can create like different type of software architecture that's kind of the environment they operate in Mm -hmm. so So you're defining like how they like connect with each other or exactly so they've got literally you have attributes that you lay out for your objects and then they have behaviors that could be seen as skills. Mm. So to me, like it, it's so simple. Like there's a lot of debate on whether that's a good way to design computer programs, mm. but I think it like, there's such an obvious jump, especially if you're going from like going for like a, a mud style game or like mm. a roguelike game. Like it, it's just there. You can just mm-hmm. see the parallels right away uh, between, you know, what you would do to start designing your classes in a program and setting up their behaviors and their interactions. And then especially in a video game, because mm-hmm. I mean, like, <laughs> that's exactly exactly what you're doing. You're creating like the data object is going to have your collection of attributes and behaviors and then you mm-hmm. kind of like set that up to interact with other objects. So you can literally name like your player object player and give it your <laughs> skills. And then you have your monsters and you can encode name them like orc, troll, right, right, right. wizard, you know, whatever. And you're literally writing out bits of code or functions that are going to do the things that you want to happen in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I always found that really entertaining and a <laughs> fun way. I think that's why a lot of people get into like making games, um, mm, as yeah, programming projects because it's like right there, <laughs> right, right, right. But it also, I think, maps to just like uh, game design in general. Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of the things are, you know, like if you're creating, um, one thing I always thought was really keen and which always felt very video gamey to me, um. Uh, in like 3.5 uh, D&D, there was, I don't know what which books it came in, but there were all these like templates you could apply to a monster. 
So you can yeah. have like you have like the regular orc, and then you would have like if you want to make like a fire orc or like a lizard orc or like a demon orc or something. And those templates would apply to the base orc, and they would modify them like in certain ways. They would give mm. them like these specific abilities and weaknesses. Uh, and I always felt like that felt um, like something that was like very video game like. You just kind of like swap out these things. Um, you have like your base your base element. You can like swap in different pieces to it, and it'll just produce it's like uh since you mentioned roguelikes you know it's, it's like when you roll up like uh, in angband or dungeon crawl or something and you roll or you find like a random artifact and you can tell it's random because it's something weird like a a blow dart of like fire and paralysis or something sure <laughs> <laughs> you know like the system just kind of like generates and spits out at you right right um, well sure you got you got you could actually set that up literally as a table. So you mm-hmm. store a table of like traits mm. that that apply like values. So yeah, I mean you could just like use randomization just to assemble like all the element elemental abilities and different mm. things you want to do, pull the actual data that reflects that in system, and then mm. plug you know, apply that to the the artifact in game right so if you have um like a weapon will have four abilities and you have a list of like a hundred different abilities you can pull from you have the math escapes me right now but you have an awful lot of potentially different like uh you know artifacts (laughs) the game could generate in a way that like a tabletop game can't i mean i guess you could if you just wrote up like a bunch of random tables but it would be really tedious to do right yeah Yep. Like, if you ever played in a game where the GM, like, insists on rolling up the treasure randomly and you realize why that's a bad idea, because it's, like, 15 minutes of the GM, like, looking in the book and rolling dice to see how many copper coins you found. I've done that before. I mean, we, like, <laughs> I did it at the end of the game. Like, when I yeah, was in high school. Yeah, you know. Right, it is, you know, like, 15 you, minutes at the end. <laughs> yeah, you know. And sometimes it's, like, does it matter, like, exactly, like, how many silver coins we found? Like, all we want to know is if we found a Holy Avenger or not, right? <laughs> totally. Um, but, you know, um, it's funny you mentioned uh, roguelikes because, you know, like, uh, the original rogue pretty much came about, uh, as far as I've understood the story, at least, literally from, like, university students who wanted to, like, play Dungeons & Dragons, like, on the computer. Uh, oh, but without like a GM, so they would, you know, they came up with the idea of like it would draw out like the dungeon map, and you know they didn't have graphics because they were just like text terminals. So they would do it using, uh, you know, text characters on the screen, ASCII characters. So you would like draw out a dungeon for them, and it would, you know, cr- fill that dungeon with random monsters and traps and items, right? Just like mm-hmm. a D and D game would. Um, but with the ca- catch to it, you know, if you're playing, um, if you're playing at a table, you don't generally, like, see the map. Like, you have to explore wherever you are, right? And right. a lot of computer games, or, like, a board game can't really do that for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see the board, but Rogue could because, you know, the game had a simple line of sight algorithm, and it would keep track of whether you had been in a certain location before. So mm-hmm. if you could see down a corridor, then it would fill in that part of the map. Um, and it sounds, like, really... You know, like, it's something we kind of take for granted because, like, any any video game made, like, ever can do that. But not in, like, you know, 73 or whenever, like, Rogue came out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, prior to that, or alongside that, you had purely text-based games. 
Mm. It's just describing the location you're in and then giving you cardinal directions for exit points. Yeah, you know, and you have to, like, fight with a parser to figure out, like, uh, what it wanted you to do. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have to get a... I remember uh, being unable to complete the original uh, Leisure Suit Larry, uh, which is from the Sierra games. So there was a graphic adventure, but you still have to type your commands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... <laughs> I had found out from a walkthrough, I think, in a magazine um, that there was a ring in, like, a sink, and you had to get this ring. Um, but I didn't know, like, the command to do it because, like, just t- type, like, take ring or whatever didn't work. Like, whatever was the obvious solution didn't work, and, like, I just never found, figured it out until years later when I could find a walkthrough in English. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, you fucker. Like, that was one the one word that it would accept, right? Well, yeah, you um, got to kind of guess kind of the logic and lexicon that de- of keywords the developers are going to use mm. for like a, a adventure like that. But I mean, they are trying to make a game that's not just a set of encounters like a like Rogue kind of more tends to be. They're actually trying to make like a narrative structure. Yeah. Because um, that's that's the interesting thing, right? Because uh, like in Rogue, like you said, there's only like a very limited number of ways you can interact with something you find. Mm-hmm. Like each type of item has generally like one thing you can do with it. Like you can quaff a potion, you can read a scroll, you can hit a monster with your sword, uh, and then there's a couple of commands you can do for any item. Like you can drop an item. I don't even mm-hmm. remember if you can throw items in Rogue. You might not. I don't, I don't think you can. No, uh, I know in Angband you can. And I know there's yeah. one of the scrolls, the scroll of fear. Uh, the way you're supposed to use it is you're supposed to put it down and stand on it, and then it'll make monsters afraid of you, which is a really weird and specific interaction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the thing with an adventure game, right? Because like a lot of those had, you would have, I don't know, like seven or eight commands. Um, mm-hmm. that might, And then you have all these items, and the game has to kind of account for like how all of those fit together, because that's how it would work for if you're really playing a tabletop game, right? You know, somebody's like, well, can I take my wand and can I, like, try to just prod the statue with it? And the GM has to be like, uh, yeah, this happens, you know? (laughs) Um, So in a way, that's, you know, if you have, I don't know, like 200 items in your game and there's 100 locations and there's eight possible commands, (laughs) like, that's a lot of permutations, even if a lot of them are just going to return, like, sorry, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> you know, like the better games always had like a whole list of like, are you mad kind of messages if you try to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> a lot of fun. But okay, mm-hmm. so we can we can start kind of with our first branching point where you have like the original Rogue and games built off that idea of like a dungeon set up graphically based on ASCII characters. You're mm-hmm. just kind of running into stuff and essentially you have like terminal terminal style commands that Mm -hmm. allow you to like you know like the cardinal directions n s w e north south right right a for attack b to pick up whatever like it was always like that maybe like forward slash to open a door and then we had (laughs) start getting into actually being able to like render rosterized graphics on the screen and Mm -hmm. then you can really start uh describing 
events yeah, in more like, complex ways. Right, which also means you can actually interact with them in ways that are more... Um, it's funny because like, a lot of like uh, books on like old computer games and stuff will always like separate out adventure games and role-playing games. Um, and I don't know that we ever like thought about it that way, at least when I was a kid. I always just thought that adventure games were just like another kind of like RPG. Like in a way, they felt more like an actual RPG exactly because you could like interact with the world in ways that you know like in a lot of computer rpgs you're even still like you know like i've been playing a lot of diablo 3 recently because i got it on the switch mm-hmm. and like yeah it's an rpg but <laughs> there's only one interaction that is giant blast of magic energy blows up dude for sure <laughs> <laughs> you know like so there's really like you know like that sort of like um, almost like the purest continuation of Rogue, right? Like, there's a bunch of caves to explore, and they're full of dudes you gotta kill. Then you get yeah. some stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. Uh, which is maybe even intentional, because I think the original Diablo was supposed to be a, uh, like, a take on Angband. Like, that was their inspiration oh. for it. Um, cool. But then you have, you know, like, if you were playing that on a tabletop game, like, that wouldn't be all that much fun. Well, I mean, you'd have to wind the clock back to the the very original stuff that Gygax was doing mm. in his basement with his friends. Like, right. that's what kind of that was, right? Yeah, you know, like, there's... And, you know, like, if you've never done that before, because, like, um, I remember reading... There's a story that's kind of gets circulated around. Almost any book on, like, the startup RPGs, we'll talk about it, where, mm. like, they were all showing up because they were playing, like, a Napoleonic campaign, like, with their... Because he had like a big sand table and they would play big battles with miniatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed up one day and instead of the usual, you know, like the fields of Austerlitz or whatever, um, they had this castle. And he had like a bunch of toys and a bunch of stuff. And they had played fantasy games before, uh, like Chainmail, which is like, uh, you know, like doing Lord of the Rings battles and stuff like that. Yeah. So they, yeah. they already were into fantasy. But th- that very like stark realization that like we're going to go into this castle and you're each going to have like one character and you can just kind of like say whatever like you want to do like mm-hmm. yeah can you imagine like how much of a mind-blowing experience that would have been at the time yeah yeah no i got you just uh, like more because there, there's more like the personal reference and like the, mm. the heroic aspect that you're not going to get when you've got the whole retinue that you're managing yeah right you know like it's a little different when it's like me and the 500 dudes of third battalion (laughs) versus it's (laughs) just me in some cave and i have to fight the skeleton with like a rusty knife or whatever yeah but i mean that also takes in the cool thing is like from the very start you've got character individual character management as kind of a core aspect of a video game rpg so you're choosing your armor you're choosing your weapons mm-hmm. and you've got an inventory you manage versus like the action games that came out alongside mm-hmm. of the uh, adventure games. You know, once you get graphics in there, you got like spaceships that fly around and just shoot at stuff and <laughs> robots and all that good fun. Right, right. Um, but it's so it's interesting, too, because uh, if you uh, have you ever played the original uh, final uh, Final Fantasy, the very first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, like, if you pl- play Dungeons & Dragons and then play Final Fantasy and kind of, like, look out for it, you can start seeing, like, how much stuff 
you know, like there's goblins and beholders and wraiths and liches and stuff. Like they were obviously just like stealing with arms and legs from like, you know, <laughs> so somebody like on the design team, you know, must have been like knee deep in Dungeons and Dragons. And in like mid 80s Japan, I don't think that was necessarily like a really common thing. Like it wasn't that common in the States yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good point. So it's one of those things where, uh, especially since Final Fantasy is like the epitome of like video game RPG, right? Like to a whole generation, like, you know, um, Final Fantasy VII basically like defined like RPGs on uh, on video games, right? Well, yeah, I think it. Like if you're. I'm thinking like before that, though, I wonder if there was a buildup because like on the Commodore and the Amiga, they had like Mm. Pools of Radiance and all those other. Yeah, like like, I I have the Beholder. Yeah. Uh, So you get like. So there's the weird like divide uh, because you have the European scene that was heavily like Commodore and Atari based. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you had games like uh, Ultima, Pool of Radiance. um, I have the Beholder and all those, especially those um, like (laughs) fake 3D games where you like move one step at a time, like I have the Beholder, Uh. but but they're still (laughs) real time. You can click on things like. Uh, so you got a lot of games like that. Um, and then in Japan, you get games like, you know, Dragon Quest and uh, Final Fantasy and stuff. Right. Uh, which is like a whole different, like, almost tradition. Because, like, you know, like, Pool of Radiance was like a licensed, like, Dungeons & Dragons game. It was based on AD&D. I think it was, it may have, I might be wrong, but it was the first that, like, actually used the AD&D rules, really. And it was right. a fairly faithful, like, as faithful as you could do on, like, a pair of floppy disks. You know, like, um, I Have the Beholder was a big deal because it was the first game that was officially licensed as a second edition AD&D game. Um, So you had all these games that were coming out, you know, like Baldur's Gate and Planescape and all those. Like, you know, they were a big deal and they were all like licensed AD&D games. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had, there were a few others, you know, there was a couple of licensed, like Shadowrun games. There was one on like Super Nintendo, I think, maybe Mm -hmm. on Genesis. Um. You know, there was a couple like that. You know, Battletech has occasionally popped up in uh, computer form, and there's always been takes on, like, Warhammer 40K, uh, although nobody has ironically just done Warhammer. Um, Well, they did for fantasy. There was uh, Dark Omens uh, on PC, which was a big deal for a while, which is like an RTS in the Warhammer world. Oh, cool. Uh, And nowadays you have, like, Total War Warhammer, which is a big deal. Right. so there was always this like long chain of like games getting like um, where it was people were trying to make the computer game like as much like a tabletop game as possible down to like having the specific rules and you know uh, you would have the same stats and um, like the story goes the reason in like Pool of Radiance that you can edit your character stats was because they thought people would want to like take their characters from their campaigns and put them in the game. Sure. Which, of course, what everyone actually did was just give themselves 18s and everything and, like, go fuck all the orcs. But, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, and eventually they just, like, accepted that, all right, whatever. Like, that's why a lot of those games, like, brutally difficult because they, they assumed you were just going to be cheating anyway. Right, right. I didn't, and I just got my butt kicked all over the place. I tried a couple of times when I got, when I got my, um, 
a better PC and I got a copy of Baldur's Gate, which at the time was like really cheap because it had been out for years. And I was like, I'm going to play like hardcore, right? Uh, I'm going to not reload. I'm going to like, if I die, I'm going to like take my characters back to get resurrected and I'm going to roll the stats. And I was like, wow, this really sucks actually. <laughs> <laughs> you just get like motor down. Like you come out of the opening city with your character with like 12 strength. I'm like, oh, here's a bear. And that bear just had dinner. Yep. You. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there was this long tradition of like um, where computer RPGs should be like ideally should emulate like video game RPGs. And then at some point it broke, like the connection just kind of broke, at least well, on I the would computer. Say, right. But I, I would say Final Fantasy A made things a bit less brutal on the players and mm-hmm. did not have such a I mean, it was definitely influenced by. Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games, uh, but mm-hmm. it didn't pull so directly from from them mechanically. Yeah, and I think it's also like I know we both have played a fair amount of Japanese games, um, and I think Japanese developers were also like less; they're more willing to just like experiment with strange stuff. For sure, <laughs> uh, you know. So um, yeah, so you start seeing it like pretty much from like the second Final Fantasy game. Um, you start seeing uh, how it's kind of pulling away from like tabletop connections. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, like up through, I don't even know what the last like license game was. Uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, maybe, uh, which mm-hmm. was based on third edition Dungeons and Dragons. That may, may be one of the last. Like, I remember when uh, Dungeons and Dragons Online came out, and it was kind of a big deal that it wasn't super closely based on the actual tabletop mechanics. It was more mm-hmm. just like a general MMO. Uh, but of course, by then, like MMOs had been like adopting like the tabletop formula. Um, you know, MMOs were always kind of weird, right? Because like they're technically like you're playing with a group, like you all have a character, and we mm-hmm. go on a quest together. But it always ends up feeling really not like playing a real RPG to me. Uh, I totally agree. Well, you, I mean, there's only so much a computer can do. So, mm. like, and automatically, based on the very nature of programming, everything mm-hmm. you're doing gets really categorized. Mm-hmm. Which to me, like, I would run into like uh, MMO players or maybe people who had played tabletop for a while in high school and then jumped over to MMOs when they got like a good desktop. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they came back to tabletop, yeah, yeah, they would bring in bring in all these weird terms. They actually have acronyms <laughs> for things. I'm like, oh, right. we, we, we read books, man. We're not doing like, <laughs> I don't do acronyms for games. This is weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, there, there's not a listing for DPS in, uh, in the player's handbook. Right. And that, to me, that <laughs> takes away some of the fun and immersion. Like, acronyms are for, in my opinion, acronyms are for professional situations my job they've got right. job based jargon job based acronyms like don't don't bring that to my hobbies dude <laughs> <laughs> that's fair um but it's also like a different because like when you're playing against a computer like you want to win like there's very few yeah. video games where like there's a loose scenario that even lets you like progress there's a few and it's always a big deal but people just like save scum anyway so right. it's completely pointless um like i remember playing um what was it called? Expeditions Conquistador, uh, I think it's mm. called. 
uh, which was unique in that, um, and I think it had an Iron Man mode to like force you to experience it because a lot of the battles you have, the set pieces, uh, you can lose, and the game will go on. It'll just kind of change stuff around. Like um, there's a part where I had to go like rescue the governor of this like you know Caribbean island, and he, I screwed it up, and he got killed. Like he just got executed. Um, and the game just kept going. Uh, it just meant like now I had to deal with something different. Which is cool, but like ninety percent, ninety nine of the time in a video game, like you know, you just get the game over screen and you got to do it again, do the mission again, right? Uh, but it, but in a tabletop game, that's not really the case. Like you're, you know, like I think um, statistically, like the players probably win most of the time, but they don't win mm-hmm. all the time, and the game is, you know, just kind of meant to continue, unless yeah. everyone died, um, right? So that's a which means like if you're playing a tabletop game, like you can play like. We've talked before about like characters with flaws. So even like playing a character who's kind of shit, um, and that can still be fun because uh, mm-hmm. you might enjoy the challenge of doing that, or you might enjoy, you know, like you just think it's an interesting character, even if he's not like that, that optimized or that great, right? Right, um, right. But like, have you ever played an MMO and you're like not playing an optimized version of your class? Uh, you will find out very quickly, like how many people your mother slept with uh, in voice chat. <laughs> sure because <laughs> that that stuff doesn't fly we're here to like <laughs> beat this boss and we're not gonna like wipe just because you had to mess around with some cute build you found on reddit sure <laughs> well I, I mean a lot of that's something i don't know i feel like rpgs like maybe older rpgs had some weird wriggle wiggle room for like wacky character builds and i guess modern rpgs try to give you like different play styles but they're definitely yeah i think this is people optimize yeah or like i think the modern design aesthetic for like 5e or something is to make basically make all of the options kind of interchangeable so Mm -hmm. that like you know like um when I was playing a rogue in a campaign, there was like three subclasses. There were more because there was an expansion, but the rulebook had three like subclasses mm-hmm. of them. And, and they're all kind of interchangeable. It's just like, what kind of rogue do you want to be? And then whichever you pick, like you'll get some abilities that'll make sure your character like stays on task for combat. And but you, you can, know, you know, I would say that type of modularity is actually mm-hmm. influenced by like a more of a software oriented paradigm or way or, or viewpoint of like how to make characters and how to make classes instead of really mm. making them distinct. Mm-hmm. It's like that whole, yeah. and I feel like with Japanese RPGs or um, the final fantasy games, they were well, more our JRPGs were oriented towards setting up these kind of like difficulty scaling situations. Mm hmm. You know, where you're, you got to fight this many monsters to level your character up to this point so you can have the challenge we expect with this boss battle. And then you yeah, um, I think like it's a much more like specific experience. Like when you get to the mountain, you need to be doing this much damage because otherwise you're just going to be like trounced. So if you don't, then go like figure it out. Go get some gear. Right. Get the gear um, you need, get the spells you need, and then try again. Right, as opposed to like, um, you know, like a game like I don't know, like Skyrim or something, where there's like a, a point of level scaling to it, where it'll kind of mm-hmm. like adju- adjust what you're encountering. Um, 
which again is a debate that like people have with like tabletop games too, right? You know, like should all the encounters be like appropriate to the player's level or skill set, or should they kind of like range up and down? I know you mm-hmm. strongly support the latter. Yeah, yeah. I I think you know, like we've talked. I I don't like everyone's got their own take on it, but mm. to me, if you're doing like lore based. Uh, linear kind of world building mm-hmm. then it's it's not set up to cater to the players mm-hmm. go to the bad yeah. place and die <laughs> <laughs> in that case you have to be like pretty confident in the your ability to tell the story right because it got to be interesting enough that like like I've been in games in the past where like it was kind of clear that there was definitely a story we were supposed to be following along and yeah. sometimes it was fun because like the story was interesting and the characters, you know, we still, you know, the characters would banter back and forth and we were kind of like go through, we would like solve each situation. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it, but it wasn't very like, I don't want to say it wasn't interactive, but you know what I mean? Like it was, I totally have been there. (laughs) Um, so, and, like, I think a lot of people kind of crap on that style, which I don't think it's, like, the ideal style, and I don't want to do it all the time, but I think it has some values to it, you know? But it mm-hmm. depends a lot on, like, what you're being presented with. Is that actually... Like, does the person know how to write, like, an interesting story, right? Oh, of course. Um, which... And I guess, like, the counterpart to that is, like, the totally, like, open, like, oh, you can do anything, like, set fire to the guards and see what happens, you know? Like, the, <laughs> like in video games, that's, like, um, like we both, <laughs> we've talked uh, in the past about our kind of exasperation that every video game has to be open world now. Well, I mean, the thing is, they're open world, but they have all these storylines that, have no connection. Like what kills me <clears throat> usually about an open world game is you, you start out your character is introduced to whatever is going on. And then you're presented with the main storyline. And usually it's presented as a very urgent situation that needs to be taken care of right away. And then but immediately that- you go like hunt down 2000 pairs of boots to sell, to buy better armor. Right, right. Like, it just, it never makes sense to me. Or if you really want to, like, complete that mission, you actually have to do the side quests. Even though Mm -hmm. they also say that this is an urgent situation that (laughs) needs to be solved now, but you, but not really. And go do all the other cool stuff. It always bothers me uh, because it's a reminder that it's not real, right? Like, for a lot of games, like, the goal is immersion. Yeah. Like, it's not the only goal, but especially for RPGs, I think it's definitely, like, always on the table. And it's always the thing that just reminds me that not all of this is, like, bullshit. Um, like, Fallout 4 was like that, where when you start the game, your character is, like, in a... They've been, like, a stasis pod or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, before they get frozen, somebody, like, kidnaps their child and kills their uh, your spouse. Mm-hmm. And then your character is frozen and you become unfrozen. And, like, you're in the post-apocalyptic world. So, like, but it's been short enough. Like, it's been, you know, a few years because it's just, like, getting through the when the bombs fall. So your mm-hmm. kid is out there. And from your character's perspective, it has literally been minutes. Like, your character's perspective is the same as the player watching the cutscene. Like, it's just been minutes because you get frozen and unfrozen. You know, there's no, you weren't, yeah. like, aware during that. 
So you roll out and somebody has literally just like killed your husband or killed your wife and stolen your kid. And then like some a bunch of dudes in like Boston are like, hey, could you help us like build some houses? Like, no, I can't. <laughs> God damn it. Do you have, one, do you have guns? And two, how many people do I have to kill to, <laughs> to, to get my kid back? You know, right. like it's complete. It is one of the worst like examples of it. Like you can accept a little bit of like fucking around like uh Mass Effect 3 was like that. It was like <laughs> the galaxy is like being invaded by these like massive robots that are like harvesting all of organic life. Uh, but let's go like to the arcade and play games for a while. Right. <laughs> you know, that'll be great. Let's uh, do this like criminal run um, for some like gang lord because we need some money because like the combined armies of the galaxy couldn't pay us, I guess. <laughs> you know, like. And you accept, like, a little bit of that because, you know, like, it's a game and you understand with some of the side content or DLC content, it's all got to slot in. Right. But, it, yeah, like, in a tabletop game, it would be completely bananas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, it would just, like, you know, um, I think that's how you get, like, the murder hobo, like, kind of player where the game, <laughs> beca- because the game world, like, doesn't feel realistic and there's no, like, point to any of it, then might as well just fuck around, you know? Like, let's sure. throw, throw knives at villagers and see what happens. Sure. You know, because in the end, like, you you know that the poor guy running the game is not going to just, like, close the book and say, like, God damn it, like, we're not doing this. Let's just play Gauntlet instead. Sure, sure. But, I mean, I would, that guy, the murder hobo guy, most likely came out of obnoxious MMO situations. Or He's or definitely the guy who, like... Games. Yeah, he's definitely the guy who, like, aggroed the entire dungeon uh, at the beginning of a raid just to, like, just fuck with everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I reminded, um, uh, we both played Dark Souls. I forget the name of the boss. It's like the spider lady down in the swamps. It's a miserable okay. place. It sucks to get to the boss. because uh, it's, it's a big poison swamp, and it's just awful. So I get there. And there's a summon sign. And right outside, because she, she's like the spider demon. She's got these, like, uh, spider people with, like, eggs growing out of them that are, like, crawling around. And if you mm-hmm. hit, hit one of them, uh, they burst out, like, a billion spiders that kills you. Yep. Like, you, you can run away, but you can't really, like, fight them. So I get to the boss. And I've died multiple times. I get there. And there's a summon sign. I was like, finally, I'm going to summon this dude. And the player <laughs> spawns in. And immediately he like hits one of those spider dudes and then he stands in the entrance um, that is just wide enough that uh, if one person stands there, the other person can't move past. So I'm trapped Uh. with all the spiders and I die. And because he's a friendly summon, you can't attack him. He's not an enemy. (laughs) That is magnificent. And I also kind of hate it because now I have to go do the whole stupid swamp again. Oh, <laughs> so that dude, uh, yeah, that's definitely like, uh, don't get him in your tabletop group. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess like a, um, to like philosophize a little bit, like what is something that tabletop games could learn from uh, video games or maybe have learned? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the scaling thing. Is mm. definitely uh, there. Um, I mean, part of it would be, and one of the things they've done is uh, introduce like 
and some people like this again and some people really don't but more of like <clears throat> a tangible skill systems um yeah or like power systems yeah which yeah like um and i think a lot of people do enjoy that like it's always one of those things like i'm a really like simulation oriented dude mm-hmm. uh, so i tend to prefer things that feel like actual like combat maneuvers and stuff uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's fun to, like, do some crazy, like, ninja sword slash and, like, hit three dudes on a ledge with your sword or something. Right, right. You know. Um, and I think that can be a, a room for, um, like, especially in, like, Japanese games tend to not be concerned with simulation at all. Like, your character abilities exist for the purpose of, like, the combat space. And then when you're talking to people or there's a cutscene or you're interacting, you're just like a normal dude. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's like the old joke of like, uh, if you die in a cutscene, why won't a phoenix down revive you when it doesn't <laughs> combat? But, <laughs> you know, but the answer is that the phoenix down and all your spells and stuff don't really exist. They only exist like for the combat section. They don't like exist in, in the story. Um, and I think like RPGs could experiment with that. It might be more difficult because you're not like as detached like story and combat isn't usually as like detached from each other as they are in a video game but i feel like it would be interesting if they were like as an experiment i think there's setting tricks that could be pulled that Mm -hmm. that could make that happen like let's say you've got like a freddy krueger inspired game oh right you're only fighting in in dreams yeah that would be perfect for that because then you could, or you got like, or you're fighting like, you know, like dimensional invaders or something. So when sure. you encounter them, you get pulled like into this like half dimension or whatever. Yeah. So then you could do, do like lit- literally anything. And then when you're just like interacting, you're just like a normal dude, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would totally do that. Um, yeah. Oh, let's see. What else? I don't know. I think uh, art has gotten better in books, the layouts of, of books have been improved, mm. inspired in part by uh, things found in video games. Yeah, and video game, like, manuals, too. Um, right. You know, like, especially back in the day when you got, like, printed manuals and stuff, like, a lot of them were, uh, like, the manual for, like, Pool of Radiance, like, you could literally run a Dungeons & Dragons game with that. Like, it explained all the dice rolls and weapon stats and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, a lot of presentation. And in a way, like, that's where, you know, like, a video game can show you things in a way that is difficult to do otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely, like, just more, I think, um, more understanding of, like, visual space, you know. Like, if there's an entrance to a dungeon, it doesn't have to just be, like, like a door inside of on the side of the hill. Like, it could be, like, the staircase that winds down and... You can see these lights and crystals in the wall. Like, you know, yeah. like everyone has had that moment where you're entering like a cool level in a video game. Um, so just like attention to those like atmospheric and like environmental stuff. Like video game nerds will talk about atmos- or environmental storytelling all the time. And I think True. Uh, tabletop games can embrace that. Um, you know, even if it's a small. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something I think uh, you can learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely with the in like environmental effects. I, I mm. didn't really think about that before, but that that's you're you're totally on point with that. Um, I mean, so, like morale. 
something mm. as simple as that. Like, I can't think... Yeah, I mean, you have a more uh, in-depth knowledge of, like, different different types of games, but I, I can't think of anything where, like, just outside of, like... I, I guess Cthulhu would introduce, mm. like, fear in reference yeah, like, to, uh, like, getting closer sanity to... Sanity or... Right. Yeah, like, it's funny, because, like, original Dungeons & Dragons has morale, you know, like... Um, mm-hmm. Your character or your henchmen or your followers will uh, will bail out if <laughs> the going gets tough. Yeah, and it's basically like um, like war game morale. You know, like you you take fifty uh, percent casualties, make a morale check. Like we've played stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just something that's kind of like uh, gone out of style because you know, like, um, and I don't even like know why necessarily. Like maybe it's less. Less heroic, uh, but it never like applied to the player character anyway. It was always like your retainers. Um, mm-hmm. Like I guess nowadays there's a more tradition that you play one character specifically um, instead of having like my character and my squire and my spear carrier and my scroll lifter and uh, these eight <laughs> barbarians I found in a cave and gave them a beer. They'll go with me. Like that's not really <laughs> a thing anymore, right? <laughs> um, but you know. Um, it, like uh, when we've been playing Pendragon last year um, with the folks I've been playing that with, one of the things is you're a knight, so you always have a squire with you, right? Like they're just mm. like loafing, loafing around, yes. and you can give them orders. They and <laughs> you just roll because they're always like a teenager, right? Like that's their role. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you basically roll a d twenty against their age to have them do stuff. So like if you break your spear in combat and you need another spear, you can roll against. Your, if your squire is seventeen, you try to roll a seventeen or less for them to, like, get the spear to you in time. Mm. Um, so it kind of has that, like... But they're not re They have a couple of skills, but they're not really, like, a full-blown character. They're just, like, a part of your character sheet, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so there's a little bit of that. But, yeah, like, morale and factors like that, which, um, like, a lot of video games will have you... You know, like, I mean... I guess it's because you used to play on your own, but you always have like a party, right? Like most of the time, unless it's like Skyrim, yeah. um, right? But even, but even Skyrim, you you can get like a dude to go with you, mm-hmm. or like you know, like in Fallout, I had the dog like following me around the whole time. So yeah, like uh, let players have like associates and allies they can bring with them and use for different things. You know, even if they're just, like, very specialized. Like, your character has a skull that follows him around, so he only really comes up if uh, you need to roll for, like, certain skill checks, and then you can bring your skull around. Like, hey, come look at this. Otherwise, oh, sure. it's, like, cowers in the back, like, behind your shield. <laughs> right, right, right. That's kind of like an Indiana Jones sort of thing, too. To mm-hmm. from it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, I mean, what, so, like, what games besides... I know you've integrated that, actually, into some NWG stuff. Yeah, uh, so I get to cheat a little bit, because it's uh, intended to be played with managers. Um, sure. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, especially in that, like, overlap between RPG and um, uh, miniatures gaming, um, you can mess around with an awful lot of stuff like that. Um whether it's secondary characters or characters different, like, degree, you know, like, you can have main characters and kind of supporting characters, or... Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I guess, in a way, is just like, um, you know, like, they're your troops, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Like, in um, Five Leagues from the Borderlands, which is the, like, fantasy campaign game I got, you have your four heroes, then you have four followers. And the followers are more likely to, like, leave your party if they get injured. 
um, they have a different sort of progression. They're more likely to learn skills, whereas your heroes mm. are more likely to get stat boosts. So your hero might like improve their speed or they might improve their combat skill. Um, but your follower is more likely to like learn like library use or learn how to like mm-hmm. uh, pack your bags better, which is essential. Mm-hmm. Um, because that puts them in that kind of like supporting role of like you know kind of like the the retinue. So you have like your main character and you have like some extra dudes that are falling around. They still have names that's still important, and they might become mm-hmm. heroes one day, but probably they're just gonna like be arrow fodder in some some swamp somewhere. Sure. <laughs> um. So but otherwise, what? I mean, like, um, Meet and Chronicles, I think, has some contacts mm-hmm. as kind of like a, an ability or a, a perk or advantage players have. Yeah, which is basically like, uh, you know, like an NPC that's kind of like attached to your character, right? Right. You know, like they kind of exist, like for your for the benefit of like your dude, like you're a you know whatever, like imperial freelancer, and you know this guy, like he doesn't really kind of exist for any other player. He's just like attached to you. Mm-hmm. And you um, just call up any resource that they could potentially mm-hmm. offer in a moment, and then they just kind of disappear. <laughs> right. Exactly. They're just uh, White Wolf Games have that too. Uh, with yeah. your background, you could choose to have allies and contacts, and th- they always had a bunch of different ones. You could have a mentor and stuff like that. It was the same kind of thing where they're technically characters that exist in the world, but they are basically just like parts of your character sheet. You know, like your allies don't really like have like if you're a vampire and you like one of your allies, like the mayor of the town, like he's not necessarily like he doesn't necessarily have a character sheet or anything, but like right, if you, right. need, if you need something done, you can pull some strings, and there's a system for it. Right, so then we would say tabletop games could expand on that a bit, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's because um, I think it's a way of like offloading it, right? Like the GM mm-hmm. doesn't have to create two hundred NPCs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, so you offload it to like if they just kind of exist on the character sheet like that. Um, that's a way of just like having less stuff to worry about. Like the player can name them; um, they can figure out like you know, tell me. Like each contact, you know, has a name and a basic personality, um, and yeah. that's all they need. Like, so, what kind of things would you um, say are things we shouldn't be learning from video games, or where do you think video games yeah. have the potential to lead role players astray? Totally, um, probably linear progression is mm-hmm. the first one that comes to mind. Like, in a tabletop game, it's probably... I don't think it's possible to, like, mimic that level of, like, mathematical progression. Like, it, just the way kind of tabletop adventures play out, like, you can't mm. you can't kind of graph out, like, okay, I have this number of encounters with these bad guys, or DM <laughs> is not going to have random encounters... So you can't try to gamify that. To like yeah. Just... Like, um, or you can only do it like basically like step by step, right? Yeah. Like, uh, like every game I've run where I've like plan stuff, it's always been like, okay, so like, even if there's an overall plan for like, okay, it's going to kind of go here, but you know, like <laughs> you can't predict like, three sessions from now, they're going to have burned all their items or something, or, you know, something happens. Sure. Um, 
in the last big campaign I ran, like they had a part that I hadn't actually planned on where uh, they were on a sh- they were sailing and their ship got raided and <laughs> they were fighting off and the fight ended up, I had wanted it to be a pretty tough fight because uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of push them a little bit at that point. Uh, but it ended up be whether I had misjudged a little bit or the dice were just like not on their side. Uh, but they mm-hmm. realized that the fight was going to be way tougher than they expected. And one of the characters, they had gotten these like magic crystals and they were basically like frost crystals. If you crush them, uh, they would like create this blast of cold energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were basically, there was something I'd given them as just a random thing where they could throw them. Basically, they were just like, you could throw one, it would do a little bit of damage, or you could just throw the whole bag and it would basically be like a bomb, right? So it's just something, a resource they could burn. And they decided to like throw that at the other ship, like just a whole oh. bag. <laughs> which meant that like the ships were like lashed together so both ships were wrecked and suddenly like they were going in the in the ocean it was like oh that was not planned but let's see where this goes right right, right. Um, so which meant they lost like all of their equipment except for anything that was like strapped to them and wouldn't like pull them to the bottom uh, so if you had planned out like very careful encounters for the rest of the campaign there was based on them having very specific equipment and stuff like that just got you know Went out the window. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, conversely, also, um, I think the opposite of that is also kind of true. Um, like, the sort of... And I see this a lot on forums. People hold up, like, the open world game as, like, this uh, platonic ideal of what a role-playing game should be. Um, but the problem is that when you're, like... You might have, like, a world map, right? But your GM didn't plan, like, 2,000 encounters to scatter around this world map. Yes, yeah. that's just not, you know, like if I spend an hour prepping a game, I'm prepping up like, you know, a couple hours of play, which assumes like you're kind of going to do this. And maybe I plan like two extra things just to throw things up. Um, so like you can't just like um, have the expectation that like when the game starts, your character is going to like ride off into the sunset and go somewhere else. And every character like goes their different ways. Like that's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then you run like six different games. It's, it would be awful. Right. Like, um, I think everyone has been, like, set in on a game where, like, somebody decides, like, uh, I'm just gonna, like, go, like, start a, start a shop. And then, like, while the rest of the party's, like, fighting monsters in the dungeon, they're like, uh, do any people come into my shop today? I'm like, well, (laughs) if you don't mind, we're fighting a dragon down here. Would have been nice to have our healer, but nope. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I think some of that, like, especially for people who are coming into tabletop games from video games. There's some of that. Uh, we have to kind of like, like, yeah, there's kind of a, a sequence to things. There's things we're supposed to be doing and you're supposed to be, you know, like doing it as a group, right? Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's annoying when people just kind of realize they're totally free. So they decide to run off or argue and not do what really is the best choice in a scenario. Right, or just, like, um, do anything that's, like, not just disruptive. Like, uh, yeah. there's always some dude who want to, like, go cast spells on people in town to see what happens, which... Right. So the the entire adventure gets derailed because you end up, like, fighting the town guards, and then you all get executed. <laughs> and, you know, like, that's fine as a laugh, but I would have liked to, like, get into the dungeon or whatever. For sure. So, yeah, like... But that's something that, like, in a video game, like, you could do whatever. If you want to, like, shoot fireball in town, unless the game doesn't allow you, then, 
here we go. Now you get to fight the guard. Now you get to run away. You know, if you want to play Skyrim and like try to kill all the NPCs, then I mean, you can't because mm-hmm. some of them are like death proof. But mm-hmm. like y- you can do those stupid things. It's, it's like whenever like a new Fallout game comes out, and uh, one of the questions that always comes up from like weirdos on the internet is like, can we kill all the children in the game? Gosh. Because uh, Bethesda always like puts in like, uh, and I don't even remember if it was like that in the original games. It may have, may not have been, but at least in the Bethesda ones, uh, probably because that looks that's the kind of thing that gets you like on uh, on uh, national news um, with a story you don't really want. So they always put in like a attack so characters who are children uh, can't be killed. Um, Neverwinter Nights was like that. I remember like. Uh, created like a stupid character and just trying to like kill people in town and like a bunch <laughs> of children like would basically run my like evil knight out of town because I couldn't <laughs> kill them but they could hit for like one point of damage each so like a bunch of like eight year olds like ran off this evil dude <laughs> <laughs> so which was deserved I was just being a prat uh, but again that's the kind of thing where like in a tabletop game you want it to be you know like there's a sense of realism and Stuff mm-hmm. that like connect connects all these things. You can't just like right. roll in and turn all the villagers into like barbecue, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, the rest of the group might not want to put up with your bullshit, right? <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, I mean, and some of that is you know, like as anyone who has played like a game online has learned, social skills are not always like. Uh, as common as our mothers tried to instill them into us. Right. 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 So, and again, you know, like if you're playing a tabletop game, you're doing something that is ostensibly a social activity. So you're going to have like mm-hmm. pack it in a little bit, you know, it's like any other social thing. Uh, you know, like depending on you're hanging out with a group of friends and you know, there's like one topic that sets one dude off. And there's another topic where like, this guy is just going to talk forever if we get started. So we just like, we don't bring up those two things and everyone can like go hang out and have pizza. And it's fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and like, yeah, an RPG is no different than that. And some of the stupid bullshit that you can indulge in when you're playing on the computer, that's not going to fly. But in turn, you get this amazing thing that like, (laughs) responds to your input and um, has an actual human being like, figuring it out you know instead of yeah. just what the programmer could could put into the game yep yep way beforehand without any knowledge of what the players might try to do like no matter what a developer tries to set up for you and tries to like uh prepare like i guess break proof stuff it's mm. just trying to like kind of like herd the players in one direction <laughs> right what a video game can be yeah there's always it's like the old um playing like resident evil and you find a door that is locked and you don't have the key but you have a grenade launcher with like 200 grenades in it and it's like <laughs> how locked is this really right because <laughs> uh, this this police station is already pretty battered and broken i don't think i'm like damaging the property value like it's full of zombies <laughs> But, you know, like that's in the video game, you could say, uh uh, you got to get the key. So you got to go get the chess pieces. And you got to take them down to the library and you got to do the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, which in an RPG, that would never be like, okay, the door is locked. We don't have the key. Can we break it open? Can we force it open? Can we find another way? Can we, you know, like play, players will come up with a solution to it and the GM can 
give you the results of that solution, whether it mm. works or it doesn't, or there's a chance, you know? For sure. Um, and that's a thing that just really, you know, without like crazy, like uh, neural networks or like uh, machine learning, like a computer game is never going to be able to like t- anticipate that. Like when you get something like NetHack that can anticipate almost anything you did, it's because the programmers have spent like 30 years pounding keyboards to like every time somebody tries something, there should be a response to it, right? Right, right, right. But yeah, like you but said, 30 years and they're doing it for fun. Yeah, exactly. And it's probably been, you know, like who knows how many people through those years. It's like an enormous amount of man hours. That's not realistic, yeah. you know? For sure. And then NetHack looks like, you know, like it's just text on the screen. Like <laughs> the, the, Then you have to do all of that with like 3D models and, you know, it just the complexity like explodes. Yeah, yeah. You end up with cyberpunk. cyberpunk. 2077 (laughs) right you know um and then you realize that if a game is going to be that complex it turns out that you need an awful lot of time to make it also work yeah and then it might (laughs) not anyway (laughs) (laughs) right you know so well that's the other thing like if there's a bug like your gm unless they are having like a narcolepsy and fall asleep uh (laughs) the, the game is going to keep moving and if there's a um you know, if you find something in the rules that's stupid, you could just say, hey, why don't we make this a plus two instead? Right. So you right. <laughs> you can patch and mod on the fly. <laughs> it's one of the things actually like for um, like especially like uh, miniatures games is such a thing because people always will often bring that up. It's like, oh, well, I can play Total War, Total War, right? So why would I play like miniatures? Like that's fine. But like I can take if I buy like a video game that's like a World War II game, and they have like 30 mm-hmm. tanks built into the game. That's it. You got those 30. Uh, if I buy a World War II miniatures game, and there's a tank that's not in the book, because they put 30 in the book, mm-hmm. I can just look at the stats and go, okay, this that is pretty close in real life has these stats, so I'll just add one here, and I'll give it a little bit of a different gun, and there you go. And now I can use all my my models, right? Cool. You know, like, so it's basically, as opposed to, like, having to wait for a modder to, like, add whatever, like, Italian tanks to the game or whatever. Right. And then it may or may not work, or that dude, like, the way he did it isn't how you would have done it, or, Mm -hmm. you know, tabletop games, you can kind of just mod on the fly. All you need is, like, a piece of paper and a pencil. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, anyone who has ever, like, written, like, a shitty broken spell for their Dungeons & Dragons game has, has basically, like, been a game modder. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or you made up a magic item or like, you know, yeah, it's such yeah. a, and it's such a simple thing that like literally like children have done it, but with a video game, there's always this like a barrier to that. You know, you have to understand, there has to be a toolkit for it. Otherwise it's really mm-hmm. difficult. And if there is a toolkit, you still have to like figure it out and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, um, you might need like a new uh, graphical model or whatever. So there's suddenly like all these things that we as opposed to, like, some, like, 12-year-old who's coming up with, like, a, the three-handed sword or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I guess a final thought for me is, like, so many... It's important, I think, at this point to differentiate all all of the video games that have <laughs> RPG elements in them. Like, just leveling oh. up your character now does not make a, ga- a video game an RPG. Oh, right. Like, is Call of Duty an RPG because you level up and get loot? <laughs> you know, 
I mean, there's a lot of interactions with other characters. It's just the interactions always use gun on man. Right. Or occasionally, like, use gun on robot or whatever. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's a future episode of, like, what technically makes an RPG. Because, you know, it comes a lot. And I feel like uh, the definition for video games is also, like, very different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, a lot of, like, um, what is an RPG in a video game? You know, like, nobody would argue that, like, fight. Uh, Final Fantasy 1 isn't an RPG but if that was a tabletop game it would basically like be a board game like you totally. walk around and there's random encounters and you fight them and that would probably be a fine board game like Descent or something Runebound or something yep. but we totally. wouldn't really like consider that like a, a satisfying RPG experience mm-hmm. um, but on the you know if you boot up your Nintendo and put in Final Fantasy 1 it is obviously an RPG in that format so it's kind of like a difference in what it really means. Totally, totally. And, and, and that's also comparable to the other video games that were act, out at the time. Mm. And it obviously did have some more depth to it than the other video games where you're just bouncing around and maybe shooting balls and stuff at bad guys. Yeah, like, right. Like, even compared to something like uh, Super Mario, which is, you know, sort of contemporary with it, there's like an obvious. Le- difference in the level of like the complexity like you had i think there were like six characters and you had a bunch of different spells and creatures and certain creatures were immune or vulnerable to particular spells and when you went to different areas it would change like what kind of encounters you had and so yeah it was definitely like a step above like uh just in terms of complexity uh even on like right. really simple systems right oh totally yeah but yeah, so any like final final thought, I suppose. Man, that that was pretty wide ranging. I guess uh my opinion I just to to me like be aware of when people are bringing jarring video game ideas and tropes into your role playing game. And I say like try to try to minimize that sort of stuff. Mm. Unless you're in a really specific situation where it does fit. Um, sure. But yeah, like a lot of times, um, you know, it's like somebody wanting to like recreate their favorite anime character. And it's usually a terrible idea. Because <laughs> um, they're just not made for the same, you know, to exist in a group activity or in a group environment. Right. Right. Um, and literally every time I have... Um, played in a campaign where somebody was trying to like copy a video game plot it was beeping terrible so right, don't do that right <laughs> i'm sure it can be done uh and nowadays it's you know like i guess as a closing remark like we've kind of like come around right because we started off with uh video games like trying to emulate in some cases literally being based on tabletop games mm-hmm. you know pool of radiance uh fallout was originally supposed to be based on gurps before right. it was changed, you know, and nowadays that doesn't happen so much, but now we have tabletop games coming out that are based on video games. Um, you know, like you mentioned cyberpunk, we have the crazy situation where like cyberpunk 2077 is based on the cyberpunk 2020 tabletop game. And now there's a cyberpunk red tabletop game, which is based on the video game, which is okay. mad. Um, or like dragon age has a tabletop RPG. That's actually pretty good. Like the witcher has a tabletop RPG, you know, um, I, uh, Dishonored, um, that series has a tabletop RPG. 
<laughs> so, you know, we're kind of on the other side where, like, tabletop games are starting to uh, allow you to emulate video games. Um, and maybe part of the draw is that you get to do um, all the things you couldn't do. You know, you get to take advantage of both formats, you know? Yeah, yeah, so. it's, like, expand on the world. And I mm-hmm. think, like, th- throughout this whole series, like, what our two rules are... Uh, set expectations properly and expand the world and make it consistent and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think in a way that's like the perfect, you know, if you have a will like fallout or something that's very vivid and imaginative, you can come up with all these cool ideas for it. And then, you know, you have like um, the fallout RPG just came out uh, and now you can actually do that. Right. Um, I said, just play GURPS. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny that that's not based on GURPS because it feels like it really should. Uh, sure. But you, you know, you got to go with the money, as I guess. Uh, but yeah, so you get. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's kind of the uh, the end of it. Like we've kind of come like around to the opposite perspective, I guess, in the industry. I guess. Golly, geez, all so. these years. <laughs> yeah, about like I said, I guess kind of forty years. Like video games is kind of like a early seventies thing when it starts going in the home and. I forget when D&D came out, but it's kind of around there. Yeah, 73, 74. Yeah, so it has all, like, grown up together, right? Like, it's just always kind of been been a thing. Right. Cool. So, so yeah. That's where we are. Um, I think... Thank you for uh, sticking with our conversation. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, and... uh, We'll be back at soon. Uh, hopefully next week. I'll try to get the uh, schedule a bit more consistent. But yeah, we'll be back soon. Yeah, roughly weekly. You know, it's yeah. a little. It, it's uh, one d six plus three days apart. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good measure. <laughs> Have an excellent night, folks. 